2: When we receive God's forgiveness, it's like a shot in the arm spiritually. It's like a spiritual monster energy drink. Blessed is the one whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the one whose sin the Lord does not count against him and whose spirit is no deceit. Take your copy of God's Word and turn with me to Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4, you'll find Paul's letter to the church at Ephesus as you get near the end of the Scripture. Like so much of the New Testament, it's a letter to a specific church with God's message to them. I think he has a message for us. I want to ask you a question. Have you ever been hurt? Have you ever hurt someone else? It's kind of a silly question, isn't it? We all know what it's like to be forgiven. We all know what it's like to express forgiveness. But sometimes it just gets a hold of us. We feel like the lady that she got bit by a rabid dog and she noticed she began to get sick. So she went to the doctor and by the time she got to the doctor, she was really sick, and by the time the doctor saw her, he said, ma'am, I I don't know what to say, but I mean, you are very ill. The only thing I can recommend is that you go home and and that you uh, write your will. She said, seriously? He said, yeah. She said, a will? He said, yeah. He said, I'm not writing a will. I'm writing a list. And he said, a list? What kind of list? She said, I'm going to write a list of the people that I'm going to bite. Sometimes when we are bitten, that's all we know to do is to bite back. And for For some of you, that's become a controlling function in your life. We all know those moments of hurt. I was trying to think back at just the earliest hurts in my life. I know there were more, but I do remember this time I was in third grade. My dad would travel and go to conferences and Revivals and mission trips and it wasn't unusual when he would come back he would bring me a little gift And i'll never forget third grade. He'd he'd been to tennessee and he brought me back a knife now I don't even know if knife is a fitting term. It was very tiny Not very sharp, but it was a pocket knife and it had on the side of the knife tennessee I mean, he might have got it at a gas station on the way. I don't know, but it was special to me. I was proud of that. And so as a third grader, I put it in my pocket. I I took it to school. And when I was on the playground, I showed it to my friends. But I'll never forget what it was like in Ms. Richardson's class when I heard over the loudspeaker, Ms. Richardson, uh, yes? Uh, Could you send Paul Purvis to the principal's office? I'm like, crud. So I go to the principal's office and... And he says, young man, yes, sir. Did you bring a knife to school? Yes, sir. I had to give it to him. Here was the worst part, though. There's this friend of mine. He was born two weeks before me. We went to church together. We played together. Eventually, we would go and room together in seminary. He would be best man in my wedding. His name is Rodney. And I found out that it was Rodney who turned me in for bringing a knife to school. (laughs) What in the world? Man, that hurt. Not a surprise, though, because usually it's, it's the people you know and love the best that can hurt you the most, isn't it? I remember in in junior high, that's like middle school today, I came off the football field and walked into the locker room, and everybody got quiet. It didn't take long for me to realize they were talking about me. That hurt. I remember in high school, I, I ran cross country, and I remember one day the coach an adult, the coach of the team, he he, he thought he was going to be funny, and he, he made some cutting remark about my dad because he was a preacher, not a real man like him. My dad, by the way, was a Marine. But I know how that hurt. As an adult, because most of my life, just by God's providence, has been in the church, and a lot of my herd has been in the church, it's... It's when you invest in people and and you're part of their lives. Maybe you're there when their children are born or their children are married or their parents die and and then they get mad over something silly and they kind of cut you off or leave the church or stab you in the back and it hurts. I know that pales in comparison to the hurts that some of you've been through and frankly, I need to say, I think it pales in comparison to the hurt I caused. I think I've caused more hurt in my life than I've received. But we all understand that term, hurt. So I would say, who hurt you? A playground bully? A boss? A classmate or a co worker? A friend? A family member? A spouse? Someone with an authority? What happened? Was it a sharp word? Was it some abuse that you endured? Someone that took advantage or even touched you in a way that they should not have? Something that was taken from you? This is painful, isn't it? And I've lived enough to know that sometimes you have to walk through a painful process to get to the point of hope and encouragement. That's where we're going to land today, but I want you just to kind of simmer in the midst of this pain for a moment because we have to decide what we're going to do with those feelings of hurt. We've all experienced them. So what are you going to do about that? Too often I feel like we're like the sad dog that gets chained up and, and he's got a collar around his neck and... He just looks sad because he's not able to experience life the way he wants to experience life. And it's not just the collar around his neck. It's all the links in that chain that are keeping him where he is. And, And that's what's happening to some of you. You've got this collar of unforgiveness. And tied to that collar are all these links in your life of things that are keeping you from God's best. Things like bitterness and rage and anger and resentment. Things like a critical or a fighting spirit or a harsh tongue. How do you break free when you're chained up by unforgiveness? We've been talking about breaking free. Scripture has taught us that we're all in a spiritual war. The spiritual world we live in necessarily is in the midst of spiritual war. And the battlefield for that war, Scripture teaches us, is taking place in the human mind So much of what we deal with takes place right here. That's why the first thing we talked about is how to break down the strongholds that have taken hold of us, how to take thoughts captive so that we might experience God's best. But last week, we learned that sometimes we still struggle with sinful and habitual behaviors and addictions, those things that we might describe as hurts or habits and hangups and And so we understood that it's not just the lies we've believed that can hurt us, but it's the lies we tell. Lies we tell ourselves. Lies we tell others. Lies we believe about God. Fortunately, we were reminded that God is a God of truth. And it's that truth that sets us free and gives us hope. So what do we do about that, when it relates to unforgiveness. Because that's where some of you are. Ever since I began talking about the hurt and the pain, you're thinking, you don't know, Pastor, I, I've tried everything. I've, I, I've, I've tried my devotionals, I, I, I've prayed about it. I, maybe I've gone to therapy, I've read books. I, I'm struggling, and you feel like, maybe you feel like this. Sometimes I, I'll vacuum the house and I'll, I'll see like a piece of lint on the floor. And I run the vacuum over it, and it for some crazy reason, it, it doesn't go in the vacuum. Has that ever happened to you? And, and so then I get real strategic, and i like twist and turn, and I'll get my whole body into it, bending down, just trying to get it from all different angles. And sometimes it still won't come up. And so what do you do? You've done it. You know what you do. You reach down, and you pick it up, and you look at it, this piece of lint. Now, if you had sense, what would you do? you would walk over to the trash can and throw it in the trash. But that's not what we do, is it? We put it back down and then we run over it again because we've got it right in the right spot. And that's how some of you are dealing with this issue of unforgiveness. You're trying everything but the right thing. And it's not making the difference it should make. So what do you do when you get controlled by feelings that you can't get rid of? Well, you have to remember we are not people who make decisions based on our feelings As Christ followers, we must allow our beliefs to shape our feelings rather than letting our feelings shape our beliefs So we have to decide what is true And then am I going to live in the truth not how do I feel and what am I going to do about how I feel? It would be our honor to send you a gift, a resource, as a result of your gift of any size. And you can make that gift by going to missionhill.org and clicking on the banner that says The Barnabas Effect. That will direct you to a simple way that you can give right there online. Thanks again for listening to The Barnabas Effect today. And now we continue with our message. That brings us to Ephesians. What a tremendous letter of scripture. Like most of Paul's writings, it's divided into two parts. He begins by talking about doctrine, what we know and believe about God and who he is, what Jesus has done for us. It's in these chapters of Ephesians that we have verses like this, for by grace are you saved through faith. It is not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, lest any of you should boast. It's in the first part of this Ephesians that we have verses like this, how, how deep and wide is the love of God. Um, it's in Ephesians, in these first chapters that we have a verse like this, he's able to do exceedingly, abundantly, above and beyond anything you've ever asked dreamt, or imagined. All these things we believe. And then in the second part of the chapter, he begins to talk to us about how our beliefs should affect our behavior. So the doctrine necessarily leads to duty, and, and that really is something that we deal with every week when we gather in this place and in these spaces. We're saying that these things that we found in Scripture to be true are applied to our life, and these truths applied to our lives should make practical difference, if they don't, we live this, leave this place and our neighbors, our family, our, our friends, our co-workers, they look at us and they call us hypocrites because they say what you believe is not affecting your behavior. Your doctrine is not affecting your duty. And so in Ephesians 4, Paul has begun to tell us some of those behaviors that should be a part of our life. I wish we had time just to read through the whole passage. We don't. So maybe you would read that devotionally later today. Just see some of those things. That scripture teaches us, like the simple principle, don't let the sun go down on your anger. Now, why would scripture teach us something so simple? It's just a reminder that when we stay angry, when we don't deal with that, that seed of bitterness begins to take root in our life and causes all kind of havoc. But uh, let me just jump right in where we're focusing today. Verse 30 of Ephesians 4. This is the word of God. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger, brawling, and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ, God forgave you. So, Father, once more, we have come into your presence and with our hands outstretched, we ask you to fill us with what we need that we don't have. With our arms lifted high, we say, may your name be praised. With our arms outstretched, we say, we surrender. Lord, all of these things represent not just those of us gathered, they my heart today. Let my words be your words and my thoughts be your thoughts so that this be a divine supernatural time. And as a result, you do divine supernatural work beginning with the work of salvation. May someone here today understand their need for you, Jesus. And may the hope of the gospel grant life. And I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. I want you to understand that scripture teaches that the way we live either feeds the enemy or it feeds our spiritual nourishment. You either starve the enemy God, you either starve God and and feed the enemy with what you do, or you starve the enemy and you feed those spiritual things in your life. Paul talks about feeding the enemy in verse 27. We didn't read it, so let me just give it to you. Do not give the devil a foothold. What is he saying? There are things we do in our life that's like opening a door to the enemy. Now, let me just remind you, when I talk about the enemy, I'm talking about your enemy. You only have one enemy. That person you think is your enemy is probably not your enemy. You have one enemy. Now, he's a doozy. He's after you and your mama. He's alive and well. The Bible says he's roaming the earth, seeking to kill, to steal, and to destroy. We know him as Satan, the father of lies, the slanderer, the evil one, the deceiver, the devil. Lucifer. You feed the enemy when you open the door of your life in different ways to his plans versus God's plans. Verses 25 through 29 give us some of the ways we feed the enemy. He talks about believing and telling lies, he talks about living in anger, he talks about being a thief, taking things that are not ours. Talking in unwholesome ways, tearing others down, being bitter. That just reminds me of that phrase I remind you of often bitterness is that poison that we drink while we wait for someone else to die. And we have to ask what kind of impact are these lifestyles having on our life? Well, they're feeding the enemy. And they're starving God. How do they starve God? Look again at verse 30. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. The second phrase of this verse is is one of my favorite doctrines in Scripture. It speaks of eternal security or what we call the perseverance of the saints. The fact that when you begin a relationship with God, if you've truly begun a relationship with Christ, you can't lose that salvation. Why not? It's not based on what you've done. It's based on what God's done. He's sealed you with his spirit. What that means is the Holy Spirit of God comes into your life and he takes residence and he's there to stay until the day of redemption. What's the day of redemption? It's the day that you see Jesus face to face. Wednesday morning at 5:50 a.m., my 83-year-old father-in-law who's lived a good and faithful life, he breathed his last breath here and he opened his eyes and he saw Jesus. 32 years ago, I asked him, "What's your definition of worship?" He was a worship pastor at the same church for 42 years. He told me this way back then. He said it's simply practicing the presence of God. In these latter days, I would tell him, "Pa, you're getting close to practicing the presence of God in the presence of Jesus. And at that moment, when you open your eyes as a child of God and you see Jesus face to face, you no longer have to be indwelt with the presence of God because now forever you are in the presence of God. But until that moment, the Holy Spirit of God is sealed within you And so what does that mean? When we do things that are not of his will and not according to his way and not consistent with his word, it grieves him. We can make the heart of God sad in our lives by the way that we live. That's what he's saying. It's starving the spirit of God. How do we correct this? That's that key verse, verse 32. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ Christ. God forgave you. I want you to understand kind of this main point today. According to scripture, forgiveness is the key that unlocks our potential to experience the abundant life made possible through the gospel of Jesus Christ. I've not met someone who professes to be a Christ follower that just says, I just want to get by. Everybody that's taken that step of faith that I interact with says, I I want everything I can get. I want the abundant life. Jesus said, I've come that you might have life and that you might have it abundantly. So how do I get that abundant life? I believe this simple principle of forgiveness is the key to that. Why? Because we need to experience God's forgiveness and then we need to express forgiveness to others. Those two things are what provide joy and the opportunity for joy in my life. So let's dive deeper And I just want to kind of teach this principle of forgiveness to you. So let's first start at forgiveness, the meaning. What is the meaning of forgiveness? I'll give you a simple definition. Forgiveness is the act of setting someone free from an obligation to you that's a result of a wrong done against you. Forgiveness is the act of setting someone free from an obligation to you that's a result of a wrong done against you. Now let's take a quick survey. Raise your hand if you've ever had a wrong done against you. All right, that was easy, right? That's the easiest question I've ever asked. Of course you have. So forgiveness is when we set someone free from the obligation that they now owe because of that wrong that they did against us. Three things in that. First of all, a wrong's been done. Second of all, a debt is owed. Thirdly, freedom is granted. Now, what does that think of, make you think of when I just walk through that? I think it's what Paul's trying to teach us in this simple verse. Forgiveness is best understood. We can best understand the meaning of forgiveness when we look at what God has done through, uh, for us through Jesus Christ. So think of those three things a wrong has been done. We did wrong. Say this say, I did wrong. I did wrong. Sure, you did because you're a sinner just like me. The Bible says in Romans 3, all of us have sinned and we've fallen short of God's design, his mark. And so all of us have done wrong. Secondly, we owe a debt. What is the debt? Well, the Bible says the wages or the payment of sin is what? Death. So the debt that we owe is to die. You understand that, right? That's what scripture teaches. If our sin is left undealt with, we will spend forever in death. Those who have forgiveness spend forever with life Those who don't have forgiveness spend forever in death We know the places where the bible says those take place those who spend forever in life spend it in heaven Those who spend forever in death spend it in hell. That's just what scripture teaches We owe a debt But jesus paid our sin debt And he sets us free from our obligations That's the simplicity of the gospel God did in Jesus on the cross of Calvary what we could never do for ourselves. So you could say forgiveness simply means doing for others what God has done for us. Now just think about that as I read the definition again. Forgiveness is the act of setting someone free from an obligation to you that's a result of of a wrong done against you there's some other ways i think you can think about this i love charles stanley the great preacher and teacher he says forgiveness is giving up my right to hurting you for hurting me or chris braun said forgiveness is a commitment by the offended to pardon graciously graciously the repentant from moral liability and to be reconciled to that person although not all consequences are necessarily eliminated